Listen, we're continuing our services and our uh, preaching through this series called the End Times Super Trends. This is a, a series of messages based on Bible prophecy where we're looking at the signs of the times that are alerting us to the fact that the hour is late, the need is great, and the time to live for Jesus is urgent because He's coming back. Amen? And so we've been looking at several of the signs. We've looked so far at uh, the rise of socialism. We've looked at persecution. Uh, today we are going to be looking at a message that I call the age of apostasy. The age of apostasy. If you have your Bible, I will invite you to join me in the book of 1 John. Uh, that's the letter of 1 John, not the gospel of John. But I'll be all over the scriptures this morning, so just try and do your best to keep up. Imagine writing your first book at age 22 and then watching it climb up the bestseller list everywhere. Well, a few years ago, that actually happened to an American pastor named Joshua Harris. The book that he wrote was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And as the title suggests, Harris was giving biblical advice to young people about dating and singleness and sexual purity and waiting on God to send that soulmate. To this date, the book has sold amazingly well, 1.2 million copies worldwide. That book ended up catapulting Joshua Harris into the stratosphere of Christian celebrity. He became highly sought after for his speaking and his counseling and his writing. He actually entered the pastorate. He served in the local church for two decades. And that's why in 2019, many who had followed him were shocked when he announced on social media that he and his wife were getting a divorce and, even more troubling, that he no longer considered himself to be a Christian. There's the headline straight out of USA Today. He wrote the Christian case against dating. Now he's splitting from his wife and faith. Joshua Harris wrote this. He said, quote, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, he said, I am not a Christian anymore. Wow. This falling away from the faith is not a new phenomenon, friends. Throughout history, there have been many who have taken up the banner of Jesus Christ with great zeal, only to run into hardship, only to run out of spiritual gas, so to speak, and lay it down rather disillusioned with the Christian faith. It's not because God wasn't faithful or because the word wasn't true. It's simply because they got it to a point in their life where they decided to walk away from all that they said and believed. Now, the New Testament highlights a couple of examples of apostasy. Paul mentions a man named Demas, who if you read the book of Colossians in chapter 4 and verse 14, we find out that Demas was a companion of Paul at one time. But in Paul's final letter... In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, he writes there to his friend Timothy, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And then there's Judas. No one is a better example of an apostate than Judas Iscariot. You remember, he betrayed Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And yet, amazingly, Judas walked with Jesus for three years. He was there for all the teachings. He was there for the miracles. And yet, he denied the Lord. Now, the Bible calls that kind of spiritual defection apostasy. That's the Bible word. And an apostate 
is someone who willingly defects from the truth and denies what they previously believed. In fact, I've got a slide coming up that's got that definition written on it. Apostasy, though, is definitely one of the end-time signs that will be prevalent in the world as it is being prepared for the return of Christ. Jesus actually told us to be on the lookout for the rise of apostasy, the age of apostasy. He talked about it in the Olivet Discourse, that prophetic sermon that he preached in Matthew 24 and 25. Look what he said in verse 10 of that passage. He said, and then many will fall away and betray one another. That's apostasy. They will hate one another, verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Then over in Luke 18 and verse 8, Jesus once again raised the issue with a rhetorical question. He said this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, if you study this in our society today, the recent headlines seem to suggest that the trend of apostasy is accelerating. At least here in the United States, we can say that for sure. Did you know that people who study these things have invented a new category called the nuns? Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. They are comprised mostly of millennials. 72 million millennials in the United States. That's about 25% of the population. Millennials are those born from 1980 to 2000. That would be my generation. In 2008, notice this, research noted that 31% of millennials describe themselves as religiously unaffiliated or nuns when it came to God. But by 2018, that number had jumped from 31% to 42%. So you have greater numbers of people from my generation who say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Yeah, I may believe in God, uh, but I'm, I'm really not committed to anything. Even our own Southern Baptist Convention reports that about 66% or two-thirds of young people who grow up in the church go through the youth group. When they get in their 20s, they leave the church and never come back again. That's two-thirds. So in this message, we're going to examine this end-time trend known as apostasy. We're going to understand what it means for us, and more importantly, how do we as believers protect ourselves against being a spiritual dropout? So if you're taking notes today, I want you to notice, number one, we must recognize the traits of apostasy. We have to recognize the traits. Now, the writers of the New Testament, even in the first century, they saw apostasy on the rise in their time. And because of that, they gave us three characteristics to look for so that we would not be caught off guard when we see this thing happening in our church today. So what are the traits of apostasy? Well, under that heading, there's this one. Apostates depart from the fellowship. They depart from the fellowship. Now, I told you to turn to 1 John. Drop down to chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And look at the warning shot that the Apostle John gives there in that passage about apostates. In that day, who were leaving Christianity to go to be a part of a cult known as Gnosticism. Here's what he wrote. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Watch this, verse 19. They went out from us, but were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So apostates, first of all, they depart from the fellowship. And John tells us here that in the last days... 
preceding the emergence of that final world dictator, Satan's CEO, whom he calls the Antichrist here. He says there will be little Antichrists in the world, lowercase a. They will exhibit the same spiritual qualities, though, of the man of sin, the Antichrist. And these apostates are going to depart from the truth. They're going to embrace counterfeit religion. And they're never going to darken the door of a church again. Now again, Jesus said, don't be surprised because when you go out and sow the gospel seed, some of it's going to fall on rocky soil. It may come up for a little bit, but even the devil will come in and swoop away and take away that good seed. Or it'll spring up and then it'll be smothered by the sun. Now, COVID has taken a toll on the church in this regard. Barna Research President, a man named David Kinneman, he has indicated that, listen to this, as many as 20% of churches in the U.S. could shut their doors permanently by the end of this year. Why? Because COVID came along, people left the church, and they haven't come back. And they won't come back. Many of them won't. And because of that, so many churches that were already weak and that were already on the brink, well, they're just going to fold and fall apart. Listen to this. Since COVID began last year, one in three Christians have quit church altogether. That means they're not watching it online. They're not going in person. They're not reading the Bible. They're not praying. They're not engaged spiritually at all. One in three. And in a way, if I could be so frank with you this morning, I think that COVID shook up the church. And what it has really done is it has separated the wheat from the chaff. Can I preach just a little bit about that? That, that those who were Christians by name only, those cultural Christians, quote-unquote, were finally given the excuse they were looking for to leave the church without the feeling of guilt upon them, and they haven't returned, and they may not ever return. John says, hey, be on the lookout for this. Apostasy is a real thing. They depart from the fellowship. David Jeremiah makes a very interesting point about this. Listen to what he said in his newest book, quote. He said, if we're not careful... We can begin to think of apostasy almost as a disease. Something that can be caught like the flu or COVID-19. But he said apostasy isn't like an illness. It is not something that happens to you out of the blue. He wrote, no, apostasy is a choice. It's a decision that people make to turn their back on the Lord based on priorities. Wow. That's real truth, friends. Apostates depart from the fellowship. Now, let me add one more thing about this. I will add this. Apostates don't lose their salvation. They never had it to begin with. They had all the signs, all the external trappings, all the right prayers, all the right looks. But yet, when you get down in the heart of it, John says, and what the Bible tells us about apostates is that they were just counterfeits. They weren't the real thing. So apostates depart from the fellowship. Then notice this. Apostates deny the faith. They deny the faith. Now John gave another test in his writing. 1 John chapter 4. A test for orthodoxy. He said, you can know an apostate by what they deny. Listen to what he said here. 1 John chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty black and white. He said, this is the spirit of the Antichrist when you heard was coming and is now already at work in the world. We had game night at church last night. I had a lot of fun with that. Got to play one of my favorite categories. 
But another one of my favorites is Jenga. You ever play that game, Jenga? Jenga's a fun game. It's the game, you know, where it comes with the wooden blocks, and they're all stacked up in the tower, and then everybody takes a turn who's playing the game. You have to think about which piece of the tower you're going to remove. So everybody comes up, and they, they study it, and they look, well, where's the least critical part of the structure? And you carefully remove part of the the Jenga tower and as you remove it it becomes more and more unstable and you have to take that piece out and put it on top so the thing becomes top heavy and eventually the last person has to get up there and remove the last piece and when they do what happens gravity takes over the whole thing falls over well I use that as an illustration because there are many in the church at large today who are playing theological Jenga they they're pulling out doctrines left and right things that they don't like, things that rub them the wrong way, things that uh, they say, well, we're a modern-day society now. Uh, th- this doesn't apply to us. And so they're pulling out the foundation of faith, the theological truths that were laid there by John and the other apostles, and they're removing them and discarding them. And, friend, you know what that happens when you remove so many of them? The tower falls, and you don't have much of a church left. You don't have much of a Bible left. You don't have much of Christianity to preach anymore because we've made it a man-centered message where we pull out the things we don't like or things that rub us the wrong way to make a man-centered message that pets our ego and makes us feel good. That's where we are today in the church. Is there anybody in the house today that has a heart that hungers and thirsts for the truth? It says, just give me the Bible, preacher. I don't need all that other fluff. I don't need all that other substitution. I've tried, tried cotton candy Christianity, and it's left me wanting. I need somebody today in the house of God to say, preacher, just open the book and give it to me straight, because that's the only thing that's going to help my soul. You see, friend, that's where we are today, denying the faith. John and the apostles knew about this in their time. And he said, look, you can point out an apostate and study what they deny, and that will tell you all you need to know. You see this trend happening in church. They deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They deny the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Bible. They deny the doctrine of hell. They deny the Bible's clear teaching on sexuality and gender and God's design for traditional marriage. That's the experiment that we're trying right now in America. And let me ask you, how's that working for us? When we jettison God and we throw out the Bible and say we can bring in CRT and we can bring in all this quote-unquote progressive philosophy that's nothing but garbage from the pit of you know where and look at what it's doing to our families. Look at what it's doing to our society. Are we happier? Are we freer? Are we better as a people, friend? I don't think so. We're closer now to the brink of destruction than ever. So we better go back to the old paths. We better open the book again. We better realize I'm not smarter than God and I'm going to go back to the truth. These aren't just peripheral issues, friend. These are foundational truths of Christianity. And listen to me, guys. We've got to realize that Bible and the Christian doctrine, that that ain't items at the buffet line where you just walk through and you say, well, I'll take a a helping of the resurrection and a little bit of grace and let's have some uh, faith on top of that. And, you know, you can't just pick and choose. This isn't based on our preference or what tickles our ears or whatever is riding the crest of popularity at the moment. Listen to me. The Bible is either 100% God's Word or it's not. Make your choice. Which one is it? 
As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And if you come to this church, as God gives me strength, as God gives me breath in my lungs and strength in my body, I'm going to, the glory of God, open this book and preach hell hot and heaven sweet and that Jesus is a great and glorious Savior and that He can save whosoever will. That's my commitment to you. And friend, the day that I stop doing that, you have my invitation to kick me out on the curb and find you a preacher who will preach the undiluted Word of God. Apostates depart from the fellowship and they deny the faith. But then notice this, they delight in the flesh. Apostates delight in the flesh. If you got your finger there in 1 John, flip over a couple books to the a letter of Jude. Little book of Jude, it's just 25 verses in total. 21 of those 25 verses are about the warning sign of apostasy. And Jude points out that one trademark of those who are fallen in the faith is that they've done so to pursue a pet sin. Look at what Jude writes, starting in verse 17 or 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And then look at what verse 17 says. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Now notice twice there, verse 16 and 18, they, apostates are called people who walk according to their own lusts. Verse 19, he calls them sensual persons. Or un people governed by ungodly passions who have not the Spirit within them. There's always a connection, friend, between depravity and apostasy. Sometimes it might be the chicken and the egg to decide which one came first, but invariably, apostasy and depravity are intertwined. You see, false doctrine leads to ungodly living. And the reverse is true, too. Ungodly living leads to false doctrine. You see, if you notice a pastor or a preacher or a teacher who gets involved in sin whether that be sexual sin or whether they have the love of money within them or they're just not in the will of God for whatever reason and they read something in the Bible that convicts them, you know what the first thing they want to do is? They want to change the Word of God to suit their lifestyle so they can hold on to the pet sin and not feel the sting of conviction and guilt. And so that's what Judah and others are pointing out there, that the apostates, you can look at the fruit in their life, and if they're fleshy, if they're worldly, if it's all about prosperity and name it and claim it, and if it's all about these worldly things, they've fallen off the wagon of truth, friend. There's a book that was written a few years ago called The Coming Apostasy. It was written by a great writer, a man named Mark Hitchcock. In that book, he tells a story that one Saturday morning, he was watching a children's program with his kids. Boy, do I know enough about that. I've watched enough Blippy and enough Bluey and enough, you name it. Caitlin and I, we've got the songs all memorized. We'll be walking through the house. We'll be singing those songs through our head. We're, we're doctrinated with all of this stuff right now. That's just the season of life that we're in. But Mark Hitchcock tells a story in his book about watching this program with his kids. And it was, the program was about the Italy's famous Leaning Tower of Pisa. And in the, in, in the interview, in the video, they were showing clips of the, the, the tower and they were talking about ways that engineers had tried to keep the tower from falling over. So they talked about putting cables to the tower and attaching those to the ground. They talked about refrigeration coils that they would install at the bottom. 
to keep the base of the tower in place. They even talked about building an adjacent tower to help prop up the other leaning tower. But then in the interview, he said that they went to a little boy. And they asked this little boy in the interview, Hey, what would you do to help keep the leaning tower of Pisa standing up? And you know what he said? In the book, the little boy said this, Oh, that's easy. Just build the buildings around it crooked like the tower, and that way they'll all look the same and no one will notice. You see what he's saying there? Mark Hitchcock makes this application. He says, quote, Many professing Christians today are adopting the same solution when it comes to the crooked and leaning world we're living in. He said, Rather than living godly lives as a witness to the crooked world around them, they build their lives on a slant to fit with the culture. Can I just say to you in love that if you love the Lord Jesus and if you love His Word, you're going to be different from the world. I'm not talking about being different in a weird or an obnoxious way. I'm just talking about being different in a holy and a righteous way where you love Jesus, you love His Word, you want to obey Him, you want to live a life that brings glory and honor to Him, not in a holy roller, pretentious, looking down on other people kind of way, but just in a humble and a doing your best to follow Jesus kind of way, and you will be different. And people will look at that and say, what is it about your life? that makes you live the way that you do, that why do you believe the way that you do? And friend, that's a door wide enough to drive a Mack truck through and then you can begin to tell them about Jesus and the difference He's made in your life. So in the end, friend, listen to me. There's only three kinds of folks in the, in the church. There's believers, there's unbelievers, and there's make-believers. You're one of those three in the church. The apostates are those who have finally come out of the closet and said that they were really unbelievers the whole time. That is what I call, number one, the traits of apostasy. The next thing that I want you to see in this message, number two, is we must reckon the times by apostasy. Not only recognize the traits, but reckon the times. Now, if you've got your Bible, you can flip over to the letter of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Two is where we will be. But in that passage right there, Paul is writing to a first century church who thought they had missed the coming of the Lord. They thought that they were in the middle of the tribulation period. I mean, these folks were all tore up. They were twisted. Some of them had quit working. Some of them had given in to the panic and the hysteria. And Paul is writing the Thessalonian believers to help them to understand the prophetic end times and to clear up some of this bad doctrine that they had got a hold of. And he's writing them to assure them, hey, you haven't come to the tribulation yet, the day of the Lord, as he calls it. Those final seven years on earth where we experience God's wrath, he said, we're not there. And he gives them in this passage that I'm pointing out to you some signposts along the road that help them to determine what the end times will look like. Notice what the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus... And are being gathered to him. We ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Either by spirit or by spoken word. Or a letter seeming to be from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3. Notice this. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day. Speaking of the day of the Lord. Will not come unless. Watch this. The rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Now we'll stop right there. Now notice in that passage, Paul is addressing the program of Bible prophecy in broad strokes. 
And he tells the people in Thessalonica very specifically what events are going to signal the day of the Lord or the return of Christ. There are four R's in that passage to consider. There's the rapture. That's in verse 1. Our gathering to Him, right? There is the rebellion that he speaks of in verse 3. That's apostasy. That's the falling away. Then also in verse 3, the revealing of the Antichrist, the man of sin. And then also, if you keep reading, we didn't read verse 8, but if you go down to verse 8, it talks about the return of Christ. So there's the order of some prophetic events. The rapture of the church, the next date on God's prophetic calendar. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? To go up, up, and away to see and meet Jesus in the air. I think the return of the Lord is going to solve about every problem that I've got and you've got. Amen? The rapture, next event on God's prophetic calendar. Then he talks there about the rebellion. That's the falling away or the age of apostasy. The coming of the Antichrist, which is going to happen during that tribulation period. And then at the end of the tribulation period, the return of Jesus where he plants his feet back on the Mount of Olives, the place where he left. And the Bible says he's coming not as a lamb, but as a lion, right? Not to save, but to judge. Now, one of the questions you might be asking this morning is, Derek, why does there have to be a great apostasy? Why does there have to be a falling away from the faith prior to the return of Christ? And here's what I want you to see this morning. This is one of the prerequisites that is going to make it easier for the Antichrist to take the reins of power and deceive the masses. Pay attention to this. In order for the Antichrist to institute his worldwide cult during the tribulation period, which we read about in Revelation 13, there has to be a spiritual vacuum that he can fill. Nature abhors a vacuum. So there has to be a spiritual vacuum created in the world where Satan's man can step in and bring his counterfeit religion so that it will appease the masses and fill their immediate need and they will bow down and worship him, the Bible says. Listen, there's two events happening that's going to create that spiritual void. Right now there's a great falling away where people are leaving the church and that's separating the wheat from the chaff. But then, glory to God, there's also an event on the horizon, the day of which no man knows the day or the hour. It's the rapture of the church. And at that moment, millions of true believers, the Bible tells us, are going to exit this world, go up, up, and away, defy gravity, meet in the air and what do you think is going to happen in the world when millions and millions of believers from across the globe go missing all the salt and all the light is going to be immediately taken out of this world so that darkness and decay can happen and when you couple that with a great apostasy what you have is a spiritual void that the man of sin is going to exploit so that God's plan can ultimately be fulfilled so that Jesus can return and rule in power and glory President Obama signaled a great sea change that happened in this country. In 2006, listen to what he said. This was back in 06. He said, as a senator then, quote, we are no longer a Christian nation. Now, for 200 years, a statement like that was unthinkable in the United States. But now, I think it's pretty evident we are living in a post-Christian society. Church attendance has never been lowered. Bible literacy has never been lower than it is right now. 
And friend, listen to me. When you erode a nation's moral and religious foundation, that nation is a lot easier to deceive and that nation is a lot easier to divide. And thus, you have all the events that happened in 2020 and 2021 when you take the foundation of Christianity, which we were united upon and and, and founded upon as a nation, and you remove all of that and you replace it with all these other godless ideologies, you begin to understand why our country is in the shape that it's in. Because now we have no values that unify us and bring us together as a people where Christianity was that common core that ran through the hearts of most people. Even if they weren't church attending, even if they were only cultural Christians, they still had a respect for the man of God. They still regarded the house of God. Now, you, some of you may be thinking, well, well, preacher, you're overstating your case. Yes, there has always been apostasy in the church. Study every area of church history, you'll find it. And apostasy alone, if that were the only thing that we're seeing in our time, it wouldn't be a slam dunk case to say, yeah, we are living in the last days. But friend, when you look at everything going on and you measure all the signs taking place in our world, the regathering of Israel, the move toward globalism, the signs of nature, the cashless economy, so on and so forth, apostasy, when you add it all together, you begin to see the picture. Oh my, the fig tree is budding. Uh, The storm is rising. The signs are coming together. It's convergence happening in our time. Friend, I'm not discouraged. I'm excited because it's all happening just as God's Word said it would. And that means I'm one day closer to my ultimate goal, which is up, up, out of the way and out of this world to see my Savior. This world don't have no hold on me. There's nothing here for me, friend. I'm looking unto the hills. Where is my salvation? The coming of the Lord. Somebody in the house of God help me preach today. Are you excited about what God's going to do? Oh, my friend, I believe that the stage is being set right now. The props are being put into place. Uh, the players are being prepared so that the, when the word is given, the final curtain will open up and God's divine drama, that third act, is going to begin on the world stage. Another question I'm often asked is this. Preacher, do you believe that the Lord is going to send one more great revival before he comes back again? You ever thought that? You know, the church used to have revival. Church used to get excited about meeting together and seeing God do something miraculous in their midst. Today you announce revival, it's met with ho-hum and a yawn. And hey, uh, what's next, preacher? Not too many people are praying for and excited about revival. It's a sign of the times, isn't it? But one question that I'm often asked is, do you think that there's going to be one more great in gathering of souls before the tribulation begins. And I'll leave you with an answer given by John Phillips. Listen to what he writes in his book. He said, quote, The river of apostasy is rising today. The perilous times of which Paul spoke are upon us. Soon the river will overflow its banks and all the tributaries of delusion and deception will join the mainstream. When it reaches flood level, that river will inundate the earth in the final apostasy which is the enthronement of Satan's man of sin as the world's God and king. Some think we can look for a worldwide spiritual awakening before the rapture of the church. He says, but Paul's prophecy in 2 Thessalonians indicates the opposite. A worldwide departure from the faith can be expected. God might indeed send revival before he calls the church home, 
But the Scriptures do not prophesy one. Wow. You say, well, Pastor, should I quit praying for revival? Absolutely not. You get hold of the horns of the altar and you pray and you beg and you ask God to save your family, to revive your church, to spark something within you that you've never had before in your life. No, the Bible doesn't that but that doesn't mean that God can't send one the Bible says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves confess their sins I'll forgive them and I'll restore their land I'm gullible I still believe that's in the word of God I'm asking God to send something to this generation to awaken hearts to do something in this country the likes of which that nobody would be able to explain unless the spirit of God moves across these people and these churches I think some of it may even be beginning now as we see an awakening in our country where mama bears have been poked one too many times where churches have been shut down and overreached by government one too many times and I think there's enough God fearing people there's enough Bible believing people there's still enough patriots in this country who've got a little bit of backbone still left in them who will say I'm standing up I'm living for the Lord I believe my Bible and I'm asking God to awaken this country and to bring us back from the brink of disaster oh we've been through hard times before we faced a war and depression and all kinds of things in our history and I still believe God's on the throne I still believe it ain't over till God says it's over I'm still asking God to do the impossible because he says with God all things are possible my goodness even though the Bible doesn't speak about that revival, hey, I'm preaching and I'm praying and I'm asking God if you can send it and start it at 875 Monte Vista Road. We'd love to uh, host a spiritual earthquake that takes place in our country. Somebody in the house of God, let me know if you're on board with it. Some of you is getting worried. You were getting it worried that I hadn't got excited yet. My goodness, God's good. We must recognize the traits of apostasy. We must reckon the times by apostasy. Friend, don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. The Bible said that all this was going to happen. We're right on track with where we need to be. Amen? And then number three, resist the trap of apostasy. Can you give me just a few more minutes? I know I'm going over. We must resist the trap of apostasy. You see, living during this age of apostasy comes with its own set of challenges. Does it not? You and I have faced things through these past couple years, thought things, believed lies that you thought was true at one time. We've gone through things these past couple years that we never thought we'd have to. I never thought I'd have to preach to an empty church. Most of y'all sitting at home in your underwear on the couch. <laughs> never thought I had to do that. Never thought I'd see the day where something so clear as God made two sexes, man or woman. And all of a sudden, we want to upend all that and tell kids as young as eight years old, you can be whatever you want to be. You can choose to be a boy or a girl. How insane are we? We have to resist the trap of apostasy. What does that mean? Let me give you three applications to help equip you in these dark days that we're living in. First is this. Be certain that you know. Be certain that you know. In other words, make sure that you truly are born again and that you do know the Lord. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Look at this passage. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I can't see inside your heart. I don't know where you are with the Lord. That's only between you and the Holy Spirit. But friend, you're to test yourself. You're not a Christian because you attend church. You're, you're no more of a Christian sitting in church than you are a Big Mac sitting in McDonald's. You're not a Christian. Listen, you're not a Christian because you're a good person or because you give lots of money. Uh, you're not a Christian because your parents were Christians or your daddy was a deacon or your mama was a Sunday school teacher. Remember, God has no grandchildren, only children. I'm not talking about a hope so salvation. Well, preacher, I, I think I prayed a prayer when I was six years old. Or, or preacher, I was baptized as an infant. I was christened into the church. And I hope I'm saved. I'm talking about not a hope so salvation, but a no-so salvation. Enough to stake your life and eternity on it. Because, friend, if you're not ready to die, you're not really ready to truly live. Adrian Rogers said this. He says about salvation, he said, If you could have it and not know it, you could lose it and not miss it. Ain't that right? But the truth is, listen, if you've got the goods, if you know the Lord Jesus that I know, you will know it and you will show it and you will not be able to hide it. His residence in your life will make such a difference that it's going to spill over and it's going to touch other people and you're going to know it and they're going to know it. So make sure you know. Secondly, be consistent so you'll grow. Be consistent so you'll grow. Look at what Colossians 1.10 says. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Here it is. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's simple as this. Christians who self-feed on the Word of God, Christians who pray, and that includes couples as well, couples who pray together, people in the faith who share the gospel at the workplace, at school, in the community, people who regularly get together with other Christians and worship, they don't fall away. You know why? Because they're growing. And if you're growing in the Lord, you're not going backwards. You're learning new things. You're being challenged by the Holy Spirit. You're being convicted of your sin. You're being drawn together through prayer and through the preaching of the Word. And when you get together in a community of faith like that called the church, it's an exciting thing. It's a fulfilling thing to be a part of that. So what I'm telling you is be consistent so you'll grow. Because if you're a growing Christian, you're a knowing Christian. And when you're a knowing Christian, you're productive. Erwin Lutzer gets a, a great illustration in one of his books. The redwood trees in California are thousands of years old. And one reason that they have endured so long is because of an extensive root system. In fact, the roots of the mighty redwoods are intertwined. They said if you could do a cross-section and look underground at the roots of those big trees, all the roots are interconnected. What does this mean? It means that trees are bound together, making them stronger. And notice this. A tree that's far away from water can survive because it's able to draw moisture from the roots of trees that are closer to water. Listen to what he said. He said, we need churches and Christians with deep roots in the soil of Scripture and roots that connect lives together. He said, when this happens, churches are able to grow saints who know what they believe, will stick together in hard times, and be willing to suffer for the faith. 
Friend, these may be dark days, but I'm thankful that I have a refuge. I'm thankful that the light is on and the door is open at a little place called Liberty Baptist Church. And when I felt down and when I didn't know how to preach and when I didn't have the strength to go on, I'm thankful, praise God, I had a place to come to where I know I'd see the face of somebody who loved me Somebody who prayed for me. Somebody who said, Preacher, I know you're going through it, but I'm praying for you. Preacher, I know you're going through a hard time, Brother Clifford, but I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm so thankful that I've got this place, this church where I can come. And I know there's people who say, I'm hungry to hear the Word of God. They'll raise their hands and say, oh, give him praise during the worship section. I'm thankful that I've got this place where I can yoke up with other believers and we can march through this life in victory because, friend, I'm not hanging my head. I'm not giving up. I'm not shutting up. I'm not giving up. I'm going forward in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any of you want to come with me, let's go out and let's conquer this community and conquer this world for Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, this world ain't got no hope. This government ain't got no answers. The school systems, uh, they've lost their way. But I know a place where there's truth. I know a building where the Spirit of God meets with other believers. I know a location where there's hope and life change. And something supernatural happens every time we get together. It's this place. And friend, I don't want to be any other place except right here preaching the Word of God with the Spirit of God and the people of God. Tweet that. Share that, invite your friends, and tell them there's still a place that believes the Word of God. Amen. Yes, give Him glory. Give Him praise today. Last one and I'm done. Thank you. You've been been so gracious to me. Last one, I'm done. Be consistent that you'll grow. Be certain that you know. Last one is this. Be cautious. Drift happens slow. Hebrews 2.1 Therefore we must pay close attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Listen. If your heart's cold today, if you ain't prayed in a long time, if your Bible creaks when you open it, if you've got a drug problem where you've been drugged here against your will, l- listen, listen. If that's your heart today, if that's your heart today, guess who moved from God? Did God move or did you move? If you've, if you've moved, you know what? God's still gracious. God's still merciful. God still leaves the light on for the prodigal son or daughter to come home. Once they're done out there slopping in the field with the hogs and wake up to their sense and realize, you know, it's a lot better at the Father's house. My God is still a second chance God. He's still a God of grace and mercy. He's still a God who says, come home. I've been waiting for you. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's put you a new robe on. Let's give you a ring and shoes on your feet. That's my God. And if you've drifted away, He still loves you. And He still has the light on for you to come home. And find what you've been missing out on. Do you know? Friend, you can make that call in an election sure today. Many of you know who Franklin Graham is. He's the son of the great evangelist Billy Graham. He's a leader of today's ministry called Samaritan's Purse. 
Case in point, the shoeboxes. Do you know that Franklin Graham almost walked away from Christianity altogether? You say, that's impossible. The son of Billy Graham, here's what happened. Franklin grew up in a Christian home. He was saturated with Bible. He was saturated with prayer. But as a young man, he turned from Jesus Christ. That's possible. I've seen it happen. I was like that at times in my own life. He became a prodigal son. He got addicted to drugs, alcohol, and partying. All that changed, though, in 1974. It was Franklin's 22nd birthday. Here's what happened. Billy Graham went and got his son. By the way, praise God for a praying mama and a daddy. Because you can be the greatest evangelist in the world, but if you fail in regards to your family, it's all for naught. Billy Graham went and got his prodigal son. They took a walk down a lake. Here's what Billy Graham told his son. He said, there is a spiritual battle raging in you. Your mother and I sense it is strong. He said this, you're going to have to make a choice, Franklin. You either accept Jesus now or you reject him. You cannot continue to play the middle ground. You're either going to follow Jesus and obey him or you're going to die and go to hell. You talk about tough love. Franklin Graham said, I couldn't escape the loving confrontation of my daddy. And a few days later, under great Holy Spirit conviction, I got down in a dirty hotel room. I repented of my sins. And I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Think about that. Here is a man, son of the greatest evangelist that's ever lived, on the brink of walking away from Christianity. But it took a dad with a heart full of love and mercy to say, Son, listen, you don't want to go to hell. Make the choice today. That's the choice that's before each one of us. Do you really know what pathway are you on? Our musicians are coming. I'm expecting an altar to be full today. Maybe you don't know that you're truly born again and saved today. I pray that you will make that election and calling sure that you'll nail it down. Hey, if you're playing games today and you're waffling in your Christianity, let's get certain today. Let's put on the spiritual armor because we're in a war. Let's make it certain in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our community today that we're going to serve Jesus Christ.